0: Got alone chosen to
1: Good morning. Let us stand, hear from God's Word, from Revelation 22, the words of Jesus. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take water of life without price. Well, Christ has come to save, he will come again to reign. And even as we sing, come Lord Jesus, let us hear his invitation to us, to all who hear, all who thirst, they would come, come to our long expected king.
0: Come. Thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in Thee.
2: Israel,
0: strength and consolation, hope of all the. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing Born thy people to deliver. Just keep
2: pray later this morning for people that are lonely at this time of the year, maybe people that have been lonely or felt alone for most of this calendar year, not just this season. And we'll pray that they can say, and that this morning would be an encouragement for them to say what we just sang, Jesus is saving, helping, keeping, and loving. He is with me till the end. Please be seated. We've got several opportunities coming up after the new year, January and February, for learning, for growing in a class setting, so a small group worship setting of 10 to 15 people. I'd like to let you know about one or two of those now, and then more in the coming weeks. We'll start a grief-share class in January, actually two of them, a Saturday morning and a Thursday evening, Uh, planned for Zoom right now, not in person, for mid-January. Now, grief-share is for people that have experienced the loss of a loved one. So this may not be you, but chances are you know of someone in your network of coworkers, neighbors, relatives, friends, somewhere in the city. And this is not for people in our church primarily. It's really for an outreach to others. In fact, most of the people at Grief Share classes have not been Desert Springs church members or attenders. In fact, you may know of someone, they don't even go to church, but they'd be open to what the Bible says about life, about death, about grief, and about hope and where we find hope. So recommend that to others. People do need to register for that. Another class we'll start, and I'll give you more details next week, is counseling. We'll start that in mid-January on Monday evenings as a Zoom class. This starts from ground zero and teaches you about biblical counseling, both for people that want to get certified maybe two years down the road and people that just want to take it out of interest uh, to improve their use of the scriptures and helping others. For either of those classes, for any information, maybe this is the first time you've joined us for an online service. And you're just interested more in why Jesus came. That's the whole topic of our sermon series. Uh, so stick with us on Sundays. But uh, maybe you've got some follow-up questions. Please reach out to us at info at dscabq.com. Then one more note, we are going to have Christmas Eve services this year here at church in person. They're at 4 and 6 o'clock. The 4 o'clock is filled up, although not the two overflow rooms, so we'd encourage you to sign up for the 6 o'clock. Maybe a final request, whether it's Sunday morning or Christmas Eve, if you do RSVP and then even at the last minute, find that you can't make it. Maybe a kid in your family starts feeling ill and you don't want the child or your family to come to church, let us know, either by calling the church office or that email that I just mentioned. Even on weekends, like on Saturdays, we monitor both those several times during the day. That'll help free up seats for other people to come. Please pray with me, let's pray for our service. Father, help us to see Jesus as a friend of sinners, as the lover of my soul. As the one who makes me whole. Father, in days when we're tempted to hunker down, to be depressed, to focus on our circumstances, help us in this service to see Jesus, to allow his goodness to excite our minds and ignite our hearts, so that through our words we cannot help but tell others. That his birth, his teachings, his death, his resurrection are everything. All glory be to Christ our King. Amen.
1: Well, let's stand and rejoice in the gospel.
0: Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Sell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. While shepherds kept their watching, while silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens the shone a holy light. Don't tell it. Hearts fear and tremble. low above, above the earth, ring out the, the angel, angel chorus that held our Saviour's birth. It's a Christmas morning. Oh. your kingdom come
3: give us your strength oh God, and courage to speak
2: Please pray with me. Father, there are sheep, some in our flock, certainly in other parts of the world, that feel that they are alone, perhaps feeling separated from you, their shepherd, and separated from the flock. Some may even feel that wolves are about to devour them, maybe not physically, but emotionally or perhaps even spiritually. So we pray this morning, Psalm 91, for them. May you pull them in to dwell in your shadow. May they say to you, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. May you deliver them from the snare they may step into this week. Under your wings, may they find refuge. May your faithfulness, be a shield to them. May they not fear the night. There are those who have lost loved ones to the virus, those who have lost loved ones unrelated to the virus. And God, these people are hurting and and can't gather in normal fashion in a church for a memorial service or a funeral. There are those without family close by. There are those who live alone, And there are Christians in this world who are persecuted. And those who wish to do them violence do not hold their hand back because of a pandemic. So, Father, please command your angels to guard these brothers and sisters in all their ways, to bear them up when their faces fall or they stumble. Help them to hold fast to you in love Remind them that they know your name and that you know theirs. Show them your salvation. And may they say, saving, helping, keeping, loving, Jesus is with me to the end. Amen.
1: I'm going to stand and continue in prayer through song.
0: nascer
4: Yes, Jesus, lover of our soul, your great love for us is so utterly undeserved, unwarranted, apart from grace, apart from the cross. And so, Lord, we are thankful that your love for us has been undaunted and undeterred. You have shown your great love for us in dying for us. We thank you. Not only that you died for us, but that you live, that you make intercession for us. So we ask for your help now as we open your word. We pray for new eyes to see. We pray for fresh ears to hear. We pray we would see our Savior and hear his voice afresh again today. For we need it. We pray in your name. Amen. You could be seated. Well, this Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas and all year round and whom we'll worship through all eternity, this Jesus is so utterly unique in his own claims about himself. As we look into the gospel accounts, we see no one spoke like he did, and it started from the earliest record of what he said. Do you know the earliest words of Jesus recorded in the Bible? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? What are Jesus' first words in the Bible? Not, not his first words, but first words recorded in the Bible. Well, it's at age 12 in Luke 2. And the only story from Jesus' childhood that we have, it's when his parents accidentally left him behind at the temple And when they realized they left him behind and came back for him, they found him in the temple, Luke says, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, and they were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So he wasn't just asking questions, he was also supplying the answers, and they were astonished at his understanding. His parents found him and said to him, Don't you know we've been looking for you and we've been worried sick? And Jesus, the 12-year-old Jesus, responded, Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? My father's business? What spectacular self-awareness. Awareness about his life and his purposes and his mission. Not to mention his awareness of his heavenly father who knew at that time that those earliest words on jesus's lips in the bible would signal so much about what he came to do it signaled even then a predetermined purpose a heavenly purpose a divine purpose and that purpose in no small part was theological in nature it was didactic. It was about his teaching ministry. That was his father's business, according to Luke 2. Now, Luke 2 isn't our primary passage for this Sunday, but it sets up our primary passage quite nicely. We're in Mark 1 this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 1, just before Luke, Mark Chapter 1, and there we find Jesus explaining that he came to preach. We're in a new sermon series this Christmas season, looking at the eight or so times that Jesus explained why he came. The I have come sayings, we're calling them. Jesus says, I have come to, and what he says next is really important. These sayings not only tell us why he came, but who he is and what it means for us. They give us a behind the scenes look of the incarnation which we celebrate at Christmas. The incarnation, God coming in the flesh. Why did he come? Well, Jesus tells us. And these sayings may not feel very Christmassy, as we said last week, but. They really dial us in to the heart of Christmas. They really dial us in to the heartbeat of Christ. So last week we saw from Matthew 5 that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill the whole Old Testament, to fill it up, to embody all of its revelation and to provide more. Well, this week from Mark 1 We'll take a step back, as it were, logically speaking, and we'll see that Jesus came to preach. Mark 5, he's preaching. Sorry, Matthew 5, he's preaching. Mark 1, he explains that this is why he came. Look down with me and read in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. It's verse 38 of Mark 1 where the matter is stated plainly. He came and he moved about from one town to another that he might preach to them. From earlier in Mark 1, we get a couple of other references to Jesus' preaching ministry. And those will help us round out the picture. So let me read those now and we'll tuck them away and come back to them a little later on. Look down at verse 21 and 22. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And look also at verses fifteen, really 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. For Mark 1, I'd like us to see three M's, three M words. His mission to preach, his manner of preaching, and his message in preaching. So first, his mission. His mission to preach. Let me say up front, that preaching was not the sum total of Jesus' mission on earth. Indeed, in this series, we're looking at eight or so sayings of Jesus' purpose on earth, and preaching is just one of those eight sayings. In fact, one of those sayings, the saying about going to the cross, that purpose statement, I have come not to serve, but to not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. That, in some ways, is the most important. That's the essence. That's what's most crucial. Without that, there's no salvation for any of us. We we might have instruction. Jesus came to fulfill the law. We we, We might have information that Jesus came to preach. But we won't have salvation unless Jesus continued all the way to the cross and in the resurrection so let's keep that in mind. Let's keep the essential nature of the cross and resurrection firmly in mind. But let's also not overlook this important statement in Mark 1. Jesus went to the next town that he could preach there also, for this is why he came out, it says. It's an interesting phrase. This is why I came out? Came out of where? Well, that's a possible translation. That's what the ESV has. There are other translations that are also legitimate and might be more helpful. The King James just says, this is why I came forth. The New American Standard says, this is what I came for. And the NIV says, this is, what, this is why I have come. Those are all legitimate translations. And I think the others, beside the ESV, point to the fact that this is another one of those general, cosmic, grand purpose statements of Jesus. This is not him merely saying, this is why I got up this morning. This is not merely him saying, this is why I'm going to the next town. This is him saying, this is why I came. Came from heaven. This is why I've been sent. And that's exactly what Jesus says in the sister passage of Luke 4. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. That that means divinely sent. That means sent from heaven above. Now these kind of purpose statements by themselves are enough for us to take them at their word. This is why Jesus came, at least in part. But to show you how important this theme is of Jesus as preacher, let me give you some more evidence. It's as far back as Deuteronomy 18 that the Israelites were told to expect one day a prophet to come, a prophet like Moses, and God said, and you better heed him. A prophet to come, a prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. Well, a prophet... And a Messiah was what is described throughout those later prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. And they spoke of one who would come and, yes, be king, and, yes, be a sacrifice, but also he would be a teacher. He would be wonderful counselor. Or as Isaiah 61 says of the Messiah, that he'll bring good news to the poor. He'll preach liberty to the captives. He will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're all very familiar with Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who will come. Yes, that's Jesus. Yes, that's important. But Isaiah 61 told the Israelites to anticipate a day when the preacher of good news would come. And of course, it's in Luke 4 that Jesus reads that section of Isaiah 61 in the synagogue He reads it out loud, he hands back the scroll to the attendant and he says, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. I'm he. I'm the one who would come to bring good news and preach liberty and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The Messiah was to be a preacher. I think we overlook that. I think we miss that. I think It doesn't quite strike us. As we said last week from that scene in the Mount of Transfiguration, it doesn't strike us perhaps how important it is that the Father said from heaven, This is my Son. Listen to Him. He could have said, This is my Son. Worship Him. This is my Son. Pray to Him. This is my Son. Spread the news about Him. Those are all true. But He says specifically there, when there's the possible rivalry in Peter's mind that Jesus just might be one of the prophets, like Moses, like Elijah, God says, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear what he has to say. Or just consider the sheer volume of teaching material in the gospel accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, it's true. As it's been said, all four gospels sort of roll downhill to the cross and resurrection. But we get from very early on, that's where this story's going. The breadcrumbs are laid precisely throughout the account, so we keep not forgetting that's what's at the end of the story, and that's what's in some ways most important the cross and resurrection. But Matthew doesn't get to that until chapter 27, and Mark doesn't get to that until Mark 15, which means that there's a whole lot of material before, uh, between the birth and the cross, and most of that material is teaching, sermons, sometimes sermons at length, like the Sermon on the Mount or the Olivet Discourse. Sometimes it's more dialogical and short as Jesus discusses matters with his closest disciples or with his enemies. But it's all of that preaching and teaching ministry of Jesus. And some might say, well, yes, that's there. The teaching is there. No doubt there's a lot of it. But there's also a lot of miracles. What about the, the exorcisms and the healings and the feeding of the hungry. Yes, that's there too. But what are those things there for? And why are they where they are in relation to teaching material in the gospel accounts? What I mean is a careful reading of the miracle stories and their placement in proximity to teaching material means that the miracles are illustrative. They're Illustrations. They're, they're, they're metaphors of what Jesus just said. They, they illustrate in flesh and blood, in living color, what kind of Jesus has come and what his message is. He's flipping over the curse, he's setting the prisoners free. You see? Look at him do it here. Look at him do it here. Look at him do it there. The miracles, in some ways, preach and teach what Jesus has just said you get the point of all this that Jesus the preacher though it might be a rather neglected portrait of Jesus at least among evangelicals today it's an important one was Jesus merely a preacher no of course not but he was importantly so a preacher And this is what we need. We need a preacher. We need a teacher. We need information. This is what we lack. We're not only ignorant because of sin, we don't think aright, at least not spiritually. Even the smartest people sometimes just read over these accounts of Jesus and they don't get it. It hasn't clicked yet. Even worse off would be there's no material of Jesus. He hasn't spoken. You think of it back in terms of the garden right after the fall. Adam and Eve fled from God's presence. And what was next? God came calling. If he had waited for them to go looking, they wouldn't have ever gone. He came calling. He spoke. That's what we need. We need a speaker. And Jesus is that speaker, not one of many, not the best of the best. He is the final one, the complete one, the consummate one. He is God, the speaker. He is God, God's word in the flesh. And so what he says is what we need. What do you think you need today? Well, it'd be nice if, you know, this thing changed. Politically, if that changed, you know, coronavirus, be great if that went away. We, we, we all say amen to, to those things. But what we need more than trials removed or comfort in a, a nation, politically or culturally or otherwise, we need what Jesus says, we need Him. So take heed to Jesus the preacher and take heed specifically to what he says. Which leads secondly to his manner of preaching, authority. His manner with authority. We see this in verse 21 and 22 where the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes in these days were the synagogue teachers And they did some good. They taught families to memorize parts of the Bible. Uh, They were in charge and keeping faithful copies of the word of God. That's all good. But by Jesus' time, they were also infamous for this kind of teaching style. They would rehearse what others had said. Rabbi so-and-so says of this passage this and that, and Rabbi so-and-so says this and that. And that's as far as it went. And that kind of teaching ministry, if you call it ministry, it has no authority. It has no guts. It has no point. I don't listen to sports radio much these days, but I used to. I remember on the Jim Rome show, If you were to call in, I never did, but if you called in, you were to have a point, a take, have a take. Don't just call in and say stupid stuff, have a take, have an opinion, have a point. Well, the scribes wouldn't have been good callers to the Jim Rome show. They didn't have a take, but Jesus always had a take. And his take wasn't just plain and to the point, but he also spoke. As we saw last week, he spoke Unlike any of the previous prophets before, who always spoke, preceding their words with, thus says the Lord. And Jesus never does that. He just speaks. He just speaks, blessed are. Here's who's in. Here's who's safe with God. Here's what they look like. As we saw last week in Matthew 5, he says, even comparing and contrasting his words with the Old Testament. You've heard it said, but I say... And he ratchets it up, what it says in the Old. So he's not like those in the Old Covenant who were a mediator of God's word. He is God's word. He is God's word in the flesh. Which means then that his authority is not merely a stylistic thing. When we say Jesus preached with authority, we don't merely mean he was loud, he was angry, he pounded a pulpit, or that he was even necessarily or, or, what's the word? Oratorically persuasive or powerful as we might consider it. No, he preached with authority in what he said, in, in what he claimed of himself. He, he preached with authority because of who he is. He preached like he was divine because he is. If he's not divine, that means then his teaching is not good. It is to be rejected wholesale. It is as his enemies charged him. It is blasphemous if he's not divine. C.S. Lewis has a great essay, What Are We to Make of Jesus Christ? And he says, with this Jesus, there is no halfway house, and there is no parallel in other religions. Lewis says, if you had gone to Buddha and asked him, are you the son of Brahma, he would have said, oh, my son, you're still in the veil of illusion. If you'd gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus, he would have laughed at you. If you'd gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah, he would have first torn his clothes and then cut off your head. Lewis says the idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. In my opinion, he says, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic. And he goes on to say that Jesus produced mainly three effects, hatred, terror, or adoration, There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. What Jesus said didn't lead anyone to indifference. Mild approval. Switzerland kind of neutrality. No. Pucker up or duck with this Jesus. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means you can't be selective about this Jesus. You can't buffet what you like about him. Some people might say, I like to think of Jesus as he welcomed children to his lap. Okay, that's a good start. The Bible says that. What's it mean? What does he say when he has children on his lap? And is that the only portrait of Jesus that you're okay with? Don't accept a kind of Jesus on some softer terms than those which he describes. And perhaps you'd even bristle at that word preach. Jesus, a preacher. You might say, that's exactly what I'm trying to get away from. Religion, that is preachy. Well, Jesus preaches. Jesus is a preacher. Take it or leave it, friend. But you best take it. Because Jesus is the preacher of God. We must heed what he says. And I think you should take advantage of having this single source authority on matters of faith and spirituality. Take advantage of a single source for ultimate truth. If you're not doing that right now. Now when it comes to the news these days, I think you should diversify your inputs. If you're only listening to cnn or msnbc or you're only listening to fox news or only to what is right of fox news these days i don't even know but diversify when it comes to news do not diversify when it comes to your soul do not diversify when it comes to matters of faith and things spiritual things eternal When it comes to matters of things eternal, Jesus offers himself to you as a single source and a trustworthy source. A single source. If you're not a Christian, aren't you tired of trying to piecemeal together a religion of your own making? Your your parents were Catholic and, and your friend is new age and this one over here has taught you something about Hinduism and you're here this morning you're listening to this and you're trying to work this in how does this fit where can I where, where can I take some of this and put it into the to the pie of faith that I'm trying to make up for my own how's it going aren't you weary aren't you unsure isn't it rather presumptuous to think that you can do that on your own that you know enough to take a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, and you're going to make up what's right. I remember that Simpsons episode where Homer tried to make up a religion around Homer. It didn't go so well. Just take it from Homer. Well, we move on now then to third, his message. There's the mission, the manner, and his message, the gospel. Verses 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. And here there are four key phrases. Proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These four sayings are a a summary of Jesus' teaching as a whole begins by saying that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God. In these days, at the turn of the millennium around Jesus' coming, there were other ancient gospel announcements that were similar to what we find in the gospel accounts. Of course, Jesus isn't basing any of his gospel announcements on others' of their gospel announcements, but it's curious. Jesus was born and came at a time when when this was in the air. So in 9 B.C., someone wrote of Caesar Augustus like this. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our lives, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she, that's providence, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. Since the birthday of the God, Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings or good news for the world. Well, just a few short years later, an angel announces to Mary that Jesus' coming birth is good news of great joy for all the people. Luke 10. Or as Mark puts it here, it's the gospel of God. Not the gospel about Caesar Augustus, who now, as we look back, is dead, and history remembers him, and not very well. Some gospel that is, put your hope not in the gospel of Caesar, put your hope in the gospel of God. It's good news. What is good news about it? Well, we could cut to the chase with what is uh, spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel. There Paul says that he reminds them of the gospel he preached to the Corinthians, which they received and are standing in. By which they are being saved. This gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the crux, literally, of the good news. And that's where these gospel accounts are going, right? They're headed toward the cross and the resurrection, That's what's most needed, what's most essential. That's what's the goodest good news of Jesus' coming. But at the beginning of his preaching ministry, Jesus can say, good news is here because I'm here. The time is fulfilled. See that, verse 15? The time is fulfilled, meaning the awaited time is done. The era of Messiah has come. Those promises of old about one to come and those promises of old about an era to come, they all come together right now. The time is fulfilled. I'm here. Good news. The good news of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's part of the good news. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's righteous reign in Christ. The kingdom of God is that invisible domain of God's salvation and peace and justice. And right now, that's unseen and will be until Christ returns again. It's unseen now, but it will be seen. So there's an element in which it's now, we say, and not yet. The kingdom is now, and it's not yet. The kingdom is now because Jesus came. And we enter into his kingdom by grace. But Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Your kingdom come. How does it come when it's already here? It's coming. It has come. It is coming. It will come in its fullness one day. And heaven and earth will be one. So this is the gospel of God. Jesus' death and resurrection For the forgiveness of sins to all who believe. It's the announcement that the time has come. We no longer wait for his first coming. He has come and the kingdom of God is near to you if you will believe. So, the last part of this gospel, verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. To repent means to turn. To turn from something and to turn To something. So when we repent, we repent of what we were doing before Christ and what we were hoping in before Christ. We turn from that, whatever it is. If it's Hinduism, you turn from Hinduism to turn to Christ. If it's New Age spirituality, you turn from that to turn to Christ. But you turn from it and turn to Christ which you can see is already bleeding into belief. Repent and believe, two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other, not truly. You repent and believe in Christ, embrace Christ, lean into him, stand upon him, trust in him, trust in his gospel, the good news. What comfort to trust in a timeless gospel like this. It's timeless. We as Christians have come to believe the gospel, and we keep believing the gospel, right? You know that, don't you? Belief, repentance and belief is how we become Christians, and it's what we are when we are being Christians. That's why Martin Luther had as his first of the 95 theses that all of life is to be one of repentance. All of life. Because as we sin, well, we keep turning from it afresh and turning to Christ afresh. Not getting saved again, but apprehending our salvation afresh. Seeing it afresh. This just keeps happening in the Christian life. It's who we are. And so we never graduate from the gospel, do we, Christian? It's never something that's just settled and we don't come back to, we don't need it. Tell me what's next. Tell me what's 2.0. Well, 2.0 of the gospel is you living in consistency with the gospel, right? What is consistent with the gospel? A life that seeks to honor the God who saved us at such a sacrifice as this. The Christian life is living out the gospel. We never graduate from the gospel. And that's why Christians keep being called believers. Not once believers, but ongoingly we are believers. I pray you'd come to believe that. So let me begin to wrap this up with five R words that are sort of implications put down on a street level for you. These will be quick. Don't be nervous. We've already had three points here, five more. These are fast. Five R's to help us wrap this up. The one one is to reckon with Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you must reckon with this Jesus. You must reckon with what he said. Take C.S. Lewis to heart here. There's no trace of mild approval of his teaching in the gospel accounts what will it be? You better run or you better bow. Reckon with Jesus. Secondly, read his word. Whether you're a Christian or not, read his word. If you're not a Christian, this is one of the great ways that you reckon with Jesus. Keep reading what he said. Interact with it. Consider it. Ponder it. Evaluate it. Pray that God would Reveal more than what you've first seen in your reading of his word. Don't just read the red letters like those are the only important parts. Read more. This is all God's word. This is all the word of Christ to us. Read the word. Christians, keep reading the word. Keep going back and back and back to your Bible with familiarity and love. And love for the Christ that's displayed in these pages. I was speaking with someone in between the service and we were just marveling together about these, these unsurpassed words like in Colossians or in Hebrews 1. He's the exact radiance of the glory of the Father. Whoa, oh, mind-blowing. We can't fully grasp all that means, but as we read and reread, we'll be encouraged by it. Thirdly, rehearse these things with others. Don't just trust your own reading of the Bible, but stir up faith and joy about the Savior as you encourage others with what you've seen and be encouraged by what they've seen. Fourth, receive his word preached. Receive his word preached, not just read, not just when it's rehearsed with others, but in a context like this. You should know that when the Bible is faithfully preached, and I say faithfully preached because there's preaching out there that is not faithful to the Bible. But when the Bible is faithfully preached, God speaks afresh. It's a living word. We believe that. Hebrews 4.12. So receive his word preached as God speaking afresh. And fifth, relay it to others. Relay it, Christian, to those who don't yet know it. Every Christian must embrace their own personal role, their own personal part in speaking on behalf of Christ to the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but Jesus doesn't travel city by city, town to town anymore to preach the gospel. He expects his followers to do that. And some of his followers will do it in some sort of official capacity or even a vocational capacity. So some of you might want to consider, if that's you, you might want to consider Would God possibly be leading me down a path that perhaps months or years from now, I might be in a position to more publicly, more officially, more even more vocationally, like I'm doing right now, proclaim this gospel to be in that lineage of preachers? Or perhaps, that's not you, that's fine, but every Christian is still involved, still to be involved in that relaying process. The word has to get out. Jesus doesn't go town to town anymore, but he expects all of his followers to spread the word. And there are so many who haven't heard. There are so many who have heard just the slightest bit of, about Jesus, and half of it or more, it's wrong you can help. You might be the means by which that person gets clarity about Jesus and maybe even comes to faith in Christ and joins you and others in following him. How glorious that is. How glorious it's been for us who are saved, right? Our whole conversion experience. Even if you can't pinpoint exactly when it was, you know that there was a time when you weren't and now there's a time when you are. You thank God for it and you want others to have that as well. If you think you don't know enough to tell someone how to be saved, I think you're mistaken. If you're a Christian, if you've come to believe enough for yourself to be saved, then you've come to know enough to share with others how they might believe and be saved. You see, this mission it's not just for the, the talented evangelists, the really outgoing types, you know, the talkers who just like to talk anyway, they might as well talk about Jesus. And you, an introvert, think, good for them, not me. Or, or the, the apologists among us who really like to study a defense of the faith, and they're ready for almost any question that will come their way with a good answer. And that's not you. But you know enough about the gospel to believe the gospel and be saved so you have enough of the gospel to share the gospel that others might be saved. What a privilege it is. It's not only a great responsibility, it is that, we're commanded, but it's a great privilege In Matthew 11, Jesus said of John the Baptist, there had been none greater among men up to that point. Why? Because John the Baptist was unique in his role to point at the Savior literally and say, there, that's the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus says, up to this point, there's none greater than John the Baptist. But then he says, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John. You, Christian, are greater than John the Baptist because you can point to more. You can say more than John said. You know more now than John knew that day when he pointed to the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The least in the kingdom is greatest, greater than John the Baptist. And consider not just the privilege but the authority with which we speak of Christ. It's not our own authority. That's one way in which we are very different than Jesus. G- Jesus spoke of his own authority and from his own authority. We don't. I have no authority from which you should listen to what I say this morning. But I have Jesus' authority. And as you represent Jesus to the world, you go with his authority. We saw that last week in Matthew 28. And let me share with you also 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ. We're representing his kingdom to another kingdom. Ambassadors. We are imploring you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. God is making his appeal to you through us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. So when you represent Christ to the world, uh, there's no guarantee how they'll respond. Pucker up or duck. But there's no question about whose authority you speak with Christ's. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your glorious mission to go to the cross and be raised To offer us the forgiveness of sins, to be our preacher, to be our teacher, to teach us what we need and to show us who you are and to invite us into your mercy, into your kingdom. So we submit this morning to the authority of your word and ask for your help to keep heeding it, to keep hearing it. And we pray, Lord, to keep relaying it. May we make you and your grace and your kingdom better known in the last days of 2020 for your glory and for the
1: good of this world. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Let us stand and respond.
0: song of Emmanuel, this the Christ who was long foretold, though in the shadows of Bethlehem, promise of dawn, now our eyes behold, God most high and a an manger lift your voices and now proclaim. Come to us, join now with the host of heaven. Come we to welcome you. For and four. grace and majesty, what humility! Come on, bend me, be adore him. Come adore him. Oh, Ghosts spread the news of Emmanuel. Joy and peace for a weary heart. Lift up your head. for the night
4: Angels' praise chorus in Luke 2 was glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I say to you, he can only be pleased with you by Jesus Christ in and through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, where he died in our place as a payment. If you've believed that, then there is peace. And glory to God goes in the highest. Highest of glories to him. If you haven't yet come to believe that, I hope you see your need for it. I pray you'd reckon with him. I pray you'd read. I pray you'd seek out someone who can help you. Perhaps you came with a friend or perhaps a friend encouraged you to tune in to this YouTube feed today. Well, talk to that friend or let us know how we can help. There'll be people up front here. For those in the room who are uh, here, we'd like to visit with you, counsel with you, or pray with you. If you're not a Christian, especially, we want to answer questions that you have. We want to help you reckon with Jesus. Uh, If you're tuning in online, Ron mentioned earlier our email address, info at dscabq.com. Please reach out to us. Let us know how we can encourage you, how we can uh, lead you toward Christ, and, and how we can pray for you. We'd love to help. Let us leave with this blessing from the end of 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.